look at our own lives and kind of do a, an evaluation to see the direction that we've gone with our life and, and see the direction that we're going with our life, um, make sure our priorities are right and, and so on and so forth. But there's a, there's a refreshing that's available to us. And uh, oh, before I go on too far, last Sunday, as you know, was uh, Christmas and over in Oakland, Iowa, they uh, um, had a, all their, everybody together in the same service. And, and, uh, and so Pastor Mike uh, was preaching away and, and he said, you know, um, there's something about Christmas. There's this, uh, this spirit, this warm feeling that we we get at Christmas. And uh, he says, and do you know where that warm feeling comes from? And Will, Rachel's youngest, is sitting in the second row and he yells out just as loud as he can, the jungle. <laughs> so we're not talking about that today, but we are talking about a refreshing. And there is a place that it comes from and it's not the jungle, but it's the Holy Spirit. And uh, on the day of Pentecost, when we look in Acts, the second and third chapter, we see where the Holy Spirit came upon them. And there was, there was this refreshing that was available to them. And so I want to start by looking in Acts, the, second, the third chapter. And I want to <clears throat> read the beginning of the 19th verse. And I'm going to read it out of the message. And it says... Uh, Acts 3.19, it says, Now it's time to change your ways. Turn to face God so he can wipe away your sins. Pour out showers of blessings to refresh you and send you the Messiah he prepared for you, namely Jesus. Change your ways. You know, um, going to be talking just a little bit, making reference to repentance periodically this morning. And I think any time we hear that word repentance, we immediately, ooh, you know. But you know, when we understand the word repentance, it's one of the most beautiful words in the scriptures. Because repentance, to repent, basically means to change direction. We can go in a whole new direction. We can go in a whole new way. We stop going the direction that we're going and we, we go in a new direction. And that's why it's so important for us to periodically take a look at our lives and examine them to see if we are going where we want to go, the direction that we want to be going. And if we're not, we need to repent. What that simply means is to recognize, to recognize the direction that we're going is not the direction that we want to go. And we turn around, we go in a whole new way. We acknowledge it and we act upon it. We do something different with our lives. And so, like I said, it's, it's one of the beautiful words in the scriptures because it's, it's a way for us to get back on path, get back moving in the direction that we want to go. Um, actually, in the, New King, or in the New Kings James Version, that 19th verse says this, Repent, therefore, <clears throat> and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You know, <clears throat> to me, one of the indicators that I'm not going the direction that I ought to be going is when it seems that there's a lot of stress, anxiety. I don't feel refreshed. I feel depleted. And if that's the case, usually what that means, and if not all the time, it means that I'm trying to do it in my own strength and my own ability. I've taken my eyes off of Jesus Take my eyes off of what he's accomplished 
for me. And I begin to move in my own strength and my own ability. I'm not relying upon him. I'm not relying upon him to bring the refreshing in my life. I'm looking either to myself or other people. Isn't it amazing how often we allow other people to operate in the position that belongs to only Jesus. We want other people to fill that need of fulfillment and wholeness in our lives. We look to others to do that when there's only one that can truly do that in our life, and that is Jesus. And so what we do is we put unrealistic expectations upon others. We expect them to fill a need that we have in our life that can only be filled through one, and that's through Jesus. Now the problem is, is we often don't feel his presence. You know, because serving him isn't dependent upon a feeling. That would have been a perfect opportunity for somebody to say amen, you know. But it isn't based on a feeling, it's based on a knowing. It's knowing what he's done for us. But if we don't have that knowledge, if we don't have that confidence, what we're gonna begin to do is we're gonna begin to look to others. We're gonna depend upon others to fill that need that we have in our lives. In Psalms 73, and again, I'm gonna read it out of the, the Message Bible, and it says, you're all I want in heaven. You're all I want on earth. When my skin sags, <clears throat> this is talking about when you get a little bit older. You know, some of you may not have experienced this yet, but you will. You, you can lift all the weights you want. It's gonna sag. You can use all the cream you want. It's gonna sag. You know, a lot. Did I hear that? Thanks a lot. Oh, thanks a lot. <laughs> you know, and uh, so it says, uh, when your skin sags and your bones get depleted, you can pop all the pills you want, but the bones are still going to deplete. <clears throat> you know, my, my mom, we were up to see her a week ago. She's 98 years old. And... Uh, when we take her down to lunch, you always know where my mom is gonna sit because there's two glasses of milk. At every meal, as long as I can remember my mother, at every meal, she drinks two glasses of milk. But guess what, her bones still deplete because she's 98 years old. Probably a lot better than they would have been. You know, so I'm not coming against doing those things, I'm just saying, Folks, it's going to happen. And so if your uh, self-image is dependent upon lack of sagging skin, get ready for a lot of surgery. Praise the Lord. You know, <clears throat> so when my skin sags and my bones uh, get brittle, God is rock, is, is my rock, is firm and is faithful. No matter what's going on in our life, there's one thing that we can always depend upon. God's not going to change. He'll always be faithful. Look, those who left you are falling apart. Deserters, they'll never be heard from again. But I'm in the very presence of God. Oh, how refreshing it is. I've made Lord God my home. God I'm telling the world what you do. See, we need to tell the world what he's done. But you know what, if we don't put him in that place in our life, if we don't focus upon him, you know, we're not gonna be able to do that. Because whatever we're focused on is what's gonna dominate our lives. And we need to focus on him, we need to put him first place in our lives in everything. In Matthew 6, 33, it says, seek first, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto me, unto you. 
Schroeder's translation is, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all this stuff is yours. Because in the context of that, he's talking about physical needs. He's talking about shelter. He's talking about clothing. He's talking about food. He's saying, if we'll seek first the kingdom of God, all this stuff will be added unto us. But there's an interesting thing about this verse because oftentimes we take words and we don't interpret them properly. He doesn't say that all we can seek is God. He says, seek first. Now, the thing about it is if there's a first, there's a second, there's a third, there's a fourth. It's not saying that we can't have any other interests in our life. He's just saying first needs to be God. Seek first the kingdom of God. If we've got our priorities right, God is number one and everything is second, third, fourth on down the line. But he's not saying that we've got to reject everything else in life. We can't have anything to do with anything else. He just says we need to have our priorities right. And to have our priorities right, that means that God takes first place. He comes before everything else. You know, <clears throat> we have but three things that we truly are able to invest in life. The three T's, time, talent, and treasury. Those are the three things that we have. And in, in everything that we do, every investment that we make, whether it be in somebody's life or whether it be in, in the bank, in our business, whatever it may be, those are the three things we have. We have time, we have talent, we have treasury. And those are the three things that we invest in, in whatever area of life we're making an investment. Now, to me, one of the things that we can do to evaluate our priorities, how am I using my time, how am I using my talent, and how am I using my treasury? Is, is God first in those things? Is God first when it comes to my time? Is God first when it comes to the talents that I have in my life? Is God first when it comes to our treasury, to that which we have, our income and so forth? And you see, the thing about it is, is you know, we talked about this, I believe we talked about it a little bit last week, about how as being new covenant Christians, we, we, we operate by faith. And so faith calls those things to be not as though they be. In other words, faith comes first and then comes the action. In the old, first was the activity and then came the act of faith or action spiritually. In other words, they met on Saturday after the week. They gave their, their tithes, their blessings after the harvest. But you know what? We operate in faith. And so we meet on Sunday, the first day of the week, believing for the opportunities that are before us. And we, we, we enter into the week coming in faith with a heart of thanksgiving, knowing that God is going to bless us abundantly this week. He's going to use us for his glory. We give on Sunday, not on Saturday. We give on Sunday. And so we give in faith, knowing that God is going to supply and meet every one of our needs. Why? Because he's faithful and true to his word. And we believe it to be so. And so we, we act accordingly. And so he says, seek first the kingdom of God. Well, that doesn't mean that we can't uh, enjoy our life. It doesn't mean that we can't have activities in our life. It doesn't mean that we can't use our money for things that we enjoy. But he says, first, seek first the kingdom of God. Again, what are we talking about today? I want us to evaluate our lives. I don't want us to, be, to get down on ourselves and be critical of ourselves. 
But you know what? To be able to progress in life, there has to be a continual evaluation of what we're doing, of what we're doing with our time, of what we're doing with our talent, and of what we're doing with our treasury. Are we using them to the glory of God or are we using them simply to the glory of self? You see, as we looked at that passage in Psalm 73, <clears throat> the end of it says, God, I'm telling the world what you do. You see, if we don't evaluate our lives and look at our lives, we don't, we don't stay familiar with what God's done in our life. What happens is we, 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 be, we kind of begin to have that attitude, what have you done for me lately? But see, we need to look back in our lives and we need to rehearse in our lives the abundance of blessings that God has performed in our life, that he's blessed us with, so they stay fresh in our life, so that when we meet with somebody, we don't tell them how horrible things are. We tell them how good God is. And the goodness of God that we share with people is gonna be based on how we evaluate God in our own lives, how we see God working and operating in our own lives. You know, remember David, when he came up against Goliath, Guess what? He didn't just come up against Goliath cold. He had something on the inside of him. As he charged after the giant Goliath, what did he say? I've killed the lion. I've killed the bear. What is this uncircumcised Philistine to me? And he didn't do it in his strength. He knew it was God that had given him the strength to kill the lion, to kill the bear, to do the things that he had done up to that point in his life. And God wasn't going to forsake him now. And so when we hit a crisis time, a difficult time, we don't have to worry, where's God now? Where's God? He's right where he's always been. Right there to help you through that situation, through that circumstance. But what does it say? It says, God, I'm telling the world what you do. I'm telling the world. You know, there, there's no evangelism as effective as relationship evangelism is when you have a relationship with somebody and you're able to tell them what Jesus has done in your life, because of that personal connection, they're able to see it. And they're able to recognize that, you know what, if God can do that in their life, God can do the same thing in my life. But you know what, if we're always quiet about it. See, if everything else comes first, that's what we talk about. But if his kingdom comes first, some of the first words out of our mouth are gonna be how God has blessed me so abundantly in 2017. <clears throat> I just can't believe it because I, I, just, I just don't deserve it. Because you don't. But we're blessed abundantly because of what he's done in our life. And you know what? We started out talking about how the Holy Spirit is in our life to bring a refreshing into our You know what? There's nothing that's more refreshing than you sit down with somebody and you have the opportunity to share with them what Jesus has done in your life and they respond to that. That's where the refreshing comes from. But in, in Mark, the 16th chapter, we see that he worked through the lives of the apostles and you know what? He still wants to work through our lives today. Notice this in, in Mark, the 16th chapter, in the 15th verse, and he said, and I said to them, and he said to them, Jesus said to the apostles, to the disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. Or the literal translation would say the believing ones. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. If they drink anything deadly, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they shall 
recover. 20th verse, and they went out and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. What are the accompanying signs? Well, it's casting out devils, laying hands on the sick, speaking in other tongues, not being hurt by uh, poison or snakes or anything like that. But you know what some of the most effective accompanying signs are? The operation of the Holy Spirit in your life, empowering you to live the victorious, successful life in every area of your life because that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in and through each and every one of us. Does he want us to lay hands on the sick? Of course he does. Does he want us to cast out devils? Yes, he does. Does he want us to pray in other tongues? Of course he does. But you know what? If our life doesn't demonstrate the effectiveness of God in our life, those will be of no real value. But when we live our life, putting him first, demonstrating his goodness, his love, and others begin to see it, we're refreshed, they're refreshed, and we experience the victory that's been made available to us through Christ Jesus. In Proverbs 25, verse 13, it says, like the cold of snow, and we can identify with that, like the cold of snow in time of harvest, it's talking about being refreshed, a cold drink. The time of har harvest is a faithful message to those who send him. For he refreshes the soul of the masters. You see, a good work, an edifying word, an uplifting word, is refreshing to the soul like a cool drink of water on a hot day when you're bringing in the harvest. The word that we speak. But again, it's to be, a, it's to be an outflow or an overflow. You know, it's difficult to draw that up when we've been feeling defeated, when we've been looking at the negative, when we are in a state of hopelessness where we feel like everything around us is falling apart. And if it isn't falling apart, just give us another day or two and it will. But when we have that attitude, it's not very refreshing. And you know what, it's hard to draw when we're in that place. But you know what? When the abundance and the blessings of God are on the tip of our tongue, it's easy. We feel good. We, real, we feel refreshed. We're able to share with those around us how good and how wonderful he truly is. In Proverbs 27, 9, it says, Anointment and perfume delight the heart, and the sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by a hearty counsel. The anointment and the perfume delights the heart. It's talking about those, those good things, those things that flow out of our heart, the joy. You know, the Bible says it's the joy of the Lord that's our strength. But you know what? If, if we focus on the negative, if, if we allow the world to determine how we feel, we're not going to have a whole lot of joy because there's not a whole lot of joy. You can, you can be critical of CNN, and, but let me tell you something. I don't get a whole lot more joy watching Fox because it's negative. 99.9% .9 of what you hear is negative. You go up to the coffee shop and what are you gonna hear? 90% of it is gonna be negative because nobody's sitting around talking about how good God is. Now, he may be talked about, but it's in a totally different context. He's in the process of damning everything around him, if you know what I mean. Now, that's not uplifting. 
But you know what? When we begin to talk about what God has done, when we review, when we think about what God has done in our life, how can we be defeated? How can we have a down day? When we look back and we see all that he's done in our life and what he's doing in our life and what he's going to continue to do in our life. What a joy. What an excitement we have in him. You know, the Bible talks in Isaiah about how God spoke to him in another tongue. Listen to this out of Isaiah 28, verse 11 and 12, and I'm going to read it out of the Amplified. And it says, No, but the Lord will teach the rebels in a more humili humiliating way. By men with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to his people, says Isaiah, and teach them his lessons. To these complaining Jews, the Lord has said, This is the true rest, the way to true comfort and happiness that you shall give to the weary, and this is the true refreshing, yet they would not listen to his teaching. And what he's talking about here is the Sabbath rest. At this time, the Sabbath rest was a day. Our Sabbath rest is a person. We can, we don't have to wait for a day to be refreshed. We can experience his refreshing every moment of every day because Jesus isn't out there someplace. Jesus is right here, living within us to refresh us, to encourage us, to strengthen us, to give us whatever it might be that we need. But you see, we've got to hear from him. We can't just simply hear from the world. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And oftentimes people say, well, you know, you Christians are narrow-minded. Yes, amen, that's right. Very narrow-minded. But Jesus made the way narrow. And who are we to try to widen that path? He's the only one that can widen it. And he says, narrow is the way. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. But narrow is the way that leads to life. And what's that narrow way? Jesus. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. There is no other way to the Father. It's in him that we find refreshing. It's in him that we find hope. In him we find the way. It's going to lead to victory. You know, in the book of Revelation in the third chapter. We have the angel of the Lord writing to the, to the churches and he has something to say to each one of them. And I believe that if we look at what he says to the churches, there's something that we can learn, that we can apply in our personal lives if we will hear and receive what he has to say. But I want to look specifically at a couple of things that he has to say to a couple of the churches. And the first is the church in Laodicea in, in, in Revelations, the third chapter. And we'll look at the, at the 15th verse. And he says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot, I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my, out of my mouth. He says, I wish that you were either cold or hot. You know, if you're hot, you know it. Amen, you're, you're fired up on the things of God. If you're cold, guess what? If you're cold, you know it. The problem is, is when you're lukewarm, and uh, lukewarm, we've talked about this, but lukewarm is basically room temperature. So after the service, I'll go into my office and I didn't drink my, my, finish my cup of coffee before I came out here. And so my throat will be dry and so I'll, I'll take my cup of coffee and I take a good swig of it to, to wet my 
my throat and so forth, and, but it won't be hot. And it won't be cold. It's going to be lukewarm. Because it's going to be room temperature. Because that cup of coffee in the two hours that it's been sitting there will have been affected by its environment. And so that cup of coffee that was once hot, because it was so affected by its environment, it's going to be lukewarm. It's going to be room temperature. That's what happens to us. We can be all fired up about the things of God. We can have our focus upon Him and be excited about what God's done for us. But you know what? If we don't continue to, excuse the expression, add some fire to it, it's going to become room temperature. And you know what? It doesn't take that long. I don't know about you. I've been there. I've gone to a conference someplace, a concert someplace, something someplace. And you come back and you go, oh, glory to God. We're going we're gonna to turn this world upside down. Praise the Lord. You know, God is great. Hallelujah. Oh, I'm so excited about the things of God. You know, and you almost start talking like someone else. And then you get home and dog peed on the carpet. Kids puked on the floor. You know, this, that, and the other thing happened. And all of a sudden, everything of the world begins to dominate. And the fire has been turned down to simmer. And everything about you begins to be room temperature once again. Why? Because you're out of the fire, you're in the world, and you're letting your environment affect everything that goes on around you. Where if we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, yeah, we got to clean up after the dog, we got to clean up after the kids, we got to pay the bills, we got to go to work, we got to do all the things that we've got to do. But if we keep our priorities right, if we keep God first place in our life, we don't have to cool down to room temperature. Because notice what he says here. I know your works. It's not like they're inactive. It's not like they're not doing anything. I'm doing the work. I'm doing the, doing the steps. No. We've got to keep the fire turned up. Look what it says in verse 17. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wicked, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. They became self-sufficient. They began looking at their own personal accomplishments. You see, our comparison is not with one another. You know why people have problems looking down their pony little nose at somebody else thinking they're better than them or looking at somebody else and thinking that person is better than me, feeling insecure? You know why? Because we compare ourselves with one another. We're not to, our, our comparison is not with one another. Our comparison is with Jesus. And as long as we keep our comparison with Jesus, we'll realize we've never arrived. Doesn't matter where you're at in your walk, there is progress to be made. And so we focus upon him. But notice, they began to think that they were really something. But you know, to me, what's so, so excited about it, exciting about it, is he doesn't ever give up on us. Gonna hear a praise the Lord on that one. He doesn't ever give up on us because here he's speaking to this church and he says, you're, you're, you're lukewarm. You need to turn the fire up. But then he says in verse 20, in verse 20, we often use this for evangelism, but notice it's written to, to the church. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him, dine with him, and he with me. You know what? You feel like there's a distance between you and God. It's a matter of opening the door and say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I need your help. I can't make it on my own. I need you. And he's, he's not left you. Notice, he's knocking. He wants in. Now, I know you've got to be a little careful of these analogies because we know that he lives on the inside of us. But you know what? He wants us to wake up. He wants us to hear what he has to say in our lives. Why? So that he can lead us to a victorious, abundant life above and beyond what any of us could ever think, dream, or imagine. That's where he wants to take us. That's where he wants to take us this coming year. But you know what? If we just settle, oh, you know, the year is pretty good. It's better for me than others. Well, praise the Lord. Why not, why not make it better for yourself that you can make it better for others? So that we can achieve all that he's desired for us to achieve, which is what? To reach all the world. Now, we can't do that individually. But as a church, as the body of Christ, if we'll get a hold of what Jesus has done, we can turn the world upside down. But see, we limit him because we look to self. Look what he says to the church of uh, Ephesus in Revelations 2 and uh, verse 2. He says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and, you, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my namesake and have not become weary. I mean, that... that that sounds like a pretty good church. I mean, I don't know about you, if, if that could describe most churches, that'd be a pretty good description. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you've left your first love. I have this against you. You've left your first love. Why is, it, why is it so important for us to remember what Jesus has done for us? I remember when I was first born again. I mean, I was, I was excited and remember going to the church that I was going to at that time and shared with some people how I'd been born again and what Jesus had done in my life. And I was really surprised they weren't excited. You know, because that was all taken care of when I was sprinkled as a baby. You know, but, but you know, so, so the fire can go out. But, but there was this, I, I knew that God loved me. I mean, I just had a, I, I didn't know anything about Scripture, rather, really, other than what I'd learned through confirmation and so forth. But, but I just believed that God loved me. I remember driving home from work. We'd stayed out of town. I was plumbing at the time and had this headache and, and just nonchalantly asked God to heal my headache and boom, it was gone, just like that. But I, I just expected it because he loved me. We expect God to heal us because we got our confession right. I've memorized all the the right passages. I've confessed them the right number of times. I've, I've done this, that, or the other. No, it's because he loves you. Is confession important? Yes. Is knowing the scripture important? Yes. But what's most important? That we know he loves us. And so they left their first love, knowing how intensely God loves us. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. In other words, remember where you fall. Repent. 
Get back there. Remember, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works or else I'll come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. And so he's, he's telling them it's important for you to repent. I'm missing something here. I've got to find out where I'm at. Let me read that again, starting in verse 2. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars, and you have persevered and have, have patience and have labored for my namesake and have not become weary. This is what I wanted you to see in those verses. Six times it makes reference to you. Four times in addition, you is inferred. And this is what I want us to see in this. There is a point in our lives where we put our trust, we put our confidence completely in him. But you know what happens? There comes a point where we begin to trust ourselves. Or I've done this. I've done that. I've done the other thing. So God, you've got to bless me because I have kept the rules. I have performed what I supposed. And he's saying, no, it's because I love you. And so are we supposed to do what he's talking about? Never told him they weren't supposed to do it. He says, it's good that you are. But it's, where are we focused again? What are our priorities once again? Are we serving God or are we serving self thinking that we're pleasing God? What we're to do is just simply be pleasing to God. And the way that we're pleasing to God is by loving him. Return. Repent. Get back to that first love once again. How do we get there? It's by remembering what Jesus has done for us. Getting back to the place where we realize, you know, without Jesus, I'm nothing. And without Jesus, I can't do anything. I am totally dependent upon him. And so, a new year can be a new beginning. It can be a time of refreshing. It can be a time where we get back to seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he says, when we do this, all this other stuff is going to be added to us. How do we do that? We put him first. We recognize the depth of his love for us. We get back to that first love. And then I've got written down that we need to repent. Recognize. That's why we've got to evaluate. Recognize where we're at in our walk, in our spiritual walk with God in our relationship with God, recognize, acknowledge. You know what? You'll never make change until you acknowledge you need to make change. And it isn't so much acknowledging it to God, it's acknowledging it to self. I've got to change the direction that I'm going here. I've got to change the priorities 
in my life. I can see in this area of my life, God is not first. And so I've got to change that because what happens when you recognize it and acknowledge it, in order to act, you've got to have a strategy. You can determine what I need to do to make the adjustment in my life so that God is once again first place in this area of my life. I have to recognize, have to acknowledge, but then it requires an action. You know, James says, faith without works. I like the New American Standard translation of that best. It says, faith without a corresponding action is dead. Faith always requires that we do something. And so when I've examined my life and I recognize that my priorities aren't right, that I've got to deal with this particular area in my life, faith acts. Faith establishes a strategy and says, this is what I'm going to do. Change that. Maybe it's to make the decision that a priority in my life is that I'm going to read at least one, one chapter of the Bible every day. That's all it would take. Now, if you're going to do that, I would recommend that you read in the New Testament and probably in the epistles. But make a, make a strategy. I'm going, to, I'm going to do that so that my mind is focused on the things of God. Well, pastor, that's too much. I'm a slow reader. Then read a passage. A passage. But, but do something. Because you, it can always lead to more. But you've got to do something. You've not done anything until you've done something. Faith acts. And so do it by faith. Well, pastor, I'm just not sure I'll follow through. Take a step of faith. Well, what if I don't do it tomorrow? Do it the next day. But take the step of faith. Make the determination. I'm going to do this. I'm going to bring about that change in my life. I'm going to, I'm going to get fired up for the things of God. And I'm going to allow that fire to burn and I'm going to, I'm going to put wood on the fire so it continues to burn. Because I don't want to be accused of being room temperature. I want to be hotter than that. I want to be as hot as I can possibly be. But we have to make a decision. We have to make a strategy. We have to make a determination. Maybe you've, you've struggled with giving. Start. Make a decision to start. Well, I don't know if I can tithe. Well, then don't tithe, but start. Give something. Do something to show that this is going to be a priority in my life. With my, my tithe, time, talent, treasury. Every area of those lies. Well, I don't, I don't, I, I don't I'm not any good at anything. Liar, liar, pants on fire. You're good at something. Well, how do you know? You are created by God. And that's a guarantee that you're good for something because God never created anything that wasn't good for anything. And so God's got a purpose for you. But you know what? It takes strategy to step into those areas to say, Father, I'm going to trust you. I'm not going to allow anything to keep me from fulfilling your plan, your destiny, the one you have for my life. And so today, I choose. In Deuteronomy, it says, I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life. He told them what to choose. I'm telling you this morning what to choose. Choose life. Choose to put Jesus First place in your life. Choose to be on fire for God. And then just sit back and see how he'll use you. Because he wants to. 
2018. Had to consciously think on that. 2018 is going to be your best year ever. Amen. Amen. Some of you didn't believe that. I believe it. Why? Because we're going to focus on him. And we're going to allow him to lead, guide, and direct us every step of the way. And when he shows us something that needs to be changed in our life, we recognize it, acknowledge it, and act. And change takes place. And we experience that abundant blessing that he has for us. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. God's good, isn't he? Emma, come up here. How dare you get sick? Hallelujah. Father, we just thank you for your healing power that flows through her body from the very top of her head to the soles of her feet. Father, in we just release your healing power to flow through her body in Jesus' name. Completely whole. Completely whole. No weapon formed against her prospers for the greater one lives within her. And Father, we thank you for touching and healing her right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. And Father, in the name of Jesus, we rebuke flu. We rebuke colds. We rebuke pneumonia. We rebuke all of those words that are spoken over individuals from this church. We renounce them. We render them ineffective in Jesus' name because we as a body are whole and healed through the blood of the Lamb and through the word of our testimony. And our testimony is Jesus Christ gave his life that we might be whole, that by his stripes we have been healed. And Father, we thank you for it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. And everybody that agrees with that raises their hand and waves at me and says, yes, Pastor Dave, we agree with you. We are healed and whole in Jesus' name. Amen. Be blessed. Have a wonderful new year and go Vikings. Praise the Lord.